and welcome to another episode of the ABBA podcast with John McDonald. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. You can send comments and questions on Twitter at ABBA podcast. You can also keep in touch through the Facebook page, the ABBA podcast with John McDonald. If the ABBA podcast isn't on your favorite platform, let us know and we'll get it sorted. Here's your host, John McDonald. It's my great pleasure to welcome my friend, uh, Steve Myatt to the ABBA podcast. Uh, we've known each other for a few years. We, we've done a couple of things together and I'm so excited to have him here on, on the podcast. Steve, welcome from sunny California. <laughs> uh, thanks, John. Thanks uh, for having me today. Um, I'm thankful that I'm in California and where it's nice and sunny. Well, uh, most not, people won't know who Steve Myatt is, so tell us a little bit about you, Steve, your background, where you're from, that kind of thing. Sure. Great to be with you uh, today, John. Um, so I grew up in California. Um, while I was a student and in college is when I came to Christ. And uh, following uh, college, I uh, started working with youth, did youth ministry, and then realized if this is going to be what I want to pursue, mm-hmm. filling God called me into ministry. Uh, I went to seminary, uh, got my MDiv. And then um, basically from there on, I've served as a pastor, a couple of different churches. And then in 1993, uh, my wife and I took, became the senior pastor of a church uh, in Vista, California, where we served for 25 years. Wow. Presently, presently um, I'm doing uh, pastoral counseling on staff at a church. And also I uh, do a chaplain for a hospice. Wow. That must be difficult, the hospice job, dealing with yeah, coming to it, the end is, and knowing they're coming yeah. Right, yeah, but I, it's a great honor, one, to be uh, able to come into somebody's life at that point in their life, and they allow you to come into that place. And people typically are open to talking about the things that really matter and facing death. Mm-hmm. They have about God, they need comfort, reassurance, um, and I feel I feel pretty comfortable. I feel pretty equipped um, to walk with people through that. Yeah. Um, it is it is emotional because you get you get attached real fast, mm. and then and then they're gone. And mm. so I didn't expect um, how emotional that I would get uh, attached to these people, but. I, I consider it a great honor to be able to, to walk with people at that point in their life. So how do you deal with that, Steve? Because like you say, you get attached and then that attachment's broken and then you're atta- you get attached to others and they're gone. How do you care for yourself in the midst of that? You know? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I think one is just knowing most of them that I'm dealing with are, are in pain and, and they're suffering. And so knowing that they're not suffering anymore mm-hmm. gives comfort. And knowing that, you know, uh, they're in a better place um, and that um, I will get to see them again. Um, but then, of course, um, ultimately, it's my relationship with the father and knowing him and experiencing even in those moments his comfort for for me uh, walking through that um but I, I i think i just find great satisfaction um knowing that 
maybe I had a part in preparing them for uh, that that part of their lives. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that must be a, a real privilege. Yes, yes, it is. That's incredible. And you, you talked about you know the father and and trusting in him. How how does that work? How you know most people trust say it's Jesus. It's the foundation, and he they're trusting Jesus. But it was really interested. You said that it's the father. How did, yeah. How did that come around? That. Well, I mean, I think for most of my Christian life, I was really focused more on Jesus. And our, most of our songs, worship, our prayers, relationship-wise, um, Jesus was our focus. I, I could relate to Jesus. He uh, was more, of course, human than, than the Father. And um, it wasn't until, um, you know, I, I, we began to really understand the whole Father Heart message and uh, when James Jordan came through the church and began to share uh, this revelation. And I, I remember him uh, speaking and beginning to unfold who the father is and his role. And I remember sitting on the front row in church with my mouth open thinking, how come I haven't heard this before? Um, this is, it makes sense, you know, and uh, it's the father who sent uh, Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, that all of this was initiated by the Father. And that, and then, and then what was the real topper for me was um, the whole message of Jesus saying, I won't leave you as an orphan, but I will, I will come back. And the realization that, that I, I was an orphan, um, that I really didn't understand what it meant to be a son. Um, I, I always considered myself, John, a really, really good servant. Yeah. And tell the church on a regular basis, I can't wait to hear uh, those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come now and enjoy your master's happiness. And so I live with the motivation of uh, wanting to hear uh, that commendation uh, as a servant. But there's a whole different role when you're a son in the house versus the servant in the house. Yeah. And there are privileges uh, that come with being a son. And so it began to really open the door for me to understand my identity as a son, a son who serves, but really as a son. And in that process, finding really uh, great comfort, security, um, changed my whole Christian life. And I had been a Christian, you know, probably 35 years at that point gone through seminary, did, did it all. And yet I felt like I was just then beginning to understand what it meant to be a Christian. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, did that propel you into a different kind of ministry or was that just something personal for you? Or? Yeah, it, um, <clears throat> mostly at the beginning, uh, it's been really a personal in terms of transforming the way that I see things huh. and um, really even transforming my heart, um, uh, learning how to let the father love me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I like to share a little bit of my story because that's, that's really the place that I really encountered the father and his love for me. Um, I was a pastor for 25 years and we were we were successful, you know. We grew. We had multiple campuses. 
we had Christian school. I mean, we, a lot of good things were happening. And, um, you know, you feel like, okay, this is what it's all about. Um, but in the midst of that, there was a secret that I had that I didn't, I couldn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody. And that was a, an addiction to pornography. Right. And started when I was just a young boy. And it was the kind of thing that I carried in. Um, it was the kind of thing that I constantly prayed, God, take away, give me the strength to say no, turn away from it. And I had periods where uh, it wasn't something that was a part of my life, but it would come and go, yeah. uh, especially in times of, of stress. And um, it was my kind of my escape. But in all of that, um, it brought a lot of condemnation, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. And so I had, it, it required a lot of effort on me to be the man of God to stand up and represent God, preach, teach, counsel, and yet know that I had this thing going on in my life that I was really ashamed of. And, but I tried every which way in my own strength to deal with it and never really saw lasting success. Yeah. And uh, so even, even as I was hearing the message of God as a father and understanding his love, um, because I think of my shame, I never really allowed God still in that place. Mm. Had the head knowledge. I could preach a message. I could preach the Father Heart messages. Um, but it still hadn't penetrated because I had built up such a strong fig leaf in terms of this facade that I created that um, I, I, I wouldn't let anybody pass that, including God. And because there was so much shame uh, on the inside. Mm -hmm. And so um, it, it, what, it, what it took for me was my wife discovering on my phone pornography. And that's when my world uh, came crashing down and my fig leaf came crashing down. That was my greatest fear that I would be exposed. And, um, yeah. and through that process, Go ahead, John. So was it just that something popped up in your phone and your wife saw it or? Um, she was looking for something else on my phone and I had pornography on the phone. Right. And that's when she discovered it and had no idea. Was like, who are you? You know, I don't, what else don't I know about you? I yeah. thought you were you know, man of God. And so that put our marriage in crisis. That put my, my life in crisis and went to a counselor, went um, and began, I even did a recovery, 12-step recovery group. And while I was still pastoring and the counselor advised that um, let's try and work this through without uh, bringing a lot of attention because this could affect a lot of people. And so um, for a year, we went to counseling. I worked through recovery. I, you know, really addressed the issues uh, finally, because now that I was exposed, um, my fig leaf is down. Now it's like I can be honest and real, and I can really come to God really in that broken state. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, I've discovered that God's not interested in loving my, my fig leaf. <laughs> he, he wants to love me. Yeah. And that my fig leaf kept getting in the way of him uh -huh. being able to, to love me, my ability to receive that love. And so that began the journey, really, of uh, me coming into uh, experiencing what it means to be loved, to be broken, and in my brokenness, 
um, receiving his love. Um, you know, there was a scripture, Paul talks about how, you know, he had the thorn in his flesh and he prayed that God would take it away. And God said, no, I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient. Mm. It's in, in, in your weakness is where you'll discover my strength. And I think Paul discovered one of the great, great teachings of the, of the Bible is that he decided I'm going to embrace my weakness because when I, when I'm weak, then he is strong. Yeah. And that's where I meet God, it's not in my, my strength and my success, but it's in those places where I'm most vulnerable. And um, it's interesting. We always want to try to fix our weaknesses. We want to hide from our weaknesses. We want to deny our weaknesses. I don't know if God's that interested in fixing our weakness. It's our weakness that draws us to God, that causes us to recognize, I can't do this. When we finally get to that place, and God's like, yeah, you're right. You can't do this. But in my weakness, um, I sit before God and let him love me when I know I don't deserve it. And when that love touches my heart, which it did in that in those those days, um, it did something to me. It changed me from the inside out. The very things that I've always wanted to do, James Jordan says, it's the love of God that will make you into the Christian that you've always wanted to be. Uh-huh. And so hard to be, you know, a good Christian. And but I couldn't have failed. But it was finally when I was broken and vulnerable, and God loved me in that place. It began to change my heart, began to change my desires. Um, it made me into uh, the Christian that God intended for me yeah. to be. Wow. I love the way you put that, Steve, that, that everything, the godliness, the, the ministry, it was, all, it was a fig leaf covering up yeah. the shame. Um, and I, I just think how many, not just leaders, but how many people in church are, are living that way? Um, yeah. and shame and fear and condemnation and just trying to put on the, the, the look and the, the fig leaf of having yeah. it together. You know, yeah. it must, I mean, I, I lived that way too. I had, I was a cool guy. I was the, the, the dynamic ministry guy. Um, but I struggled with some of the same issues as yourself. You know, pornography yeah. was an issue for me in the past and, and the shame and condemnation that brings. And there must be so many guys and you know, we were saying earlier, in today's world, so many girls, women who struggle with this and the yeah. condemnation and the self-hatred even. That's you know? right. Wow. One thing that I've discovered in doing counseling is pretty much everyone deep down has a struggle of feeling like they're not good enough, feeling like they're unworthy, feeling like they don't measure up. Um, and, and that is kind of a core belief. And I think it's a from our orphanness that, you know, I don't care how successful you are, what you do in life, that's, those become our fig leaves. But uh, apart on the other side of that fig leaf is really a little boy and little girl that's just trying to, to um, be good enough to get approval and uh, performance mentality. And when, when I can help people uh, let go of the fig leaf and really become vulnerable with God, and they can experience God's love in that place. For me, that's the only thing that really brings freedom. It seems like so much of what we call counseling, Christian counseling, is really behavioral modification. We're just trying to change your behavior, cope with what you have, manage it. But the Bible makes an incredible promise 
that we are to be transformed and not just, you know, a better version of ourselves, but something that didn't exist before. Wow. And, um, I, <clears throat> pathway to get there is through brokenness and vulnerability and allowing God to touch us in those places. That brings that, information. I mean, that must have been quite scary, Steve. Like you said, the pathway is through brokenness, through vulnerability, but, but that is scary. I mean, like, right. I mean, it's, it's scary to go there voluntarily, but to be dragged into that place because yeah. your feelings are suddenly exposed and, and the shock and trauma of that in, in your life and your wife's life, you know, that must have been horrific. It, it takes, it, it is incredibly scary um, because you live for so long creating an image and now it's gone and you're exposed. I, I remember the day after we resigned from the church and um, we, we decided, my wife and I decided um, to share our story with the church. We'd been with them 25 years. And um, our denomination wanted me to just kind of keep it real safe and safe, you know, for family reasons. But we chose that, I chose that our church needed to hear the truth. And plus, I knew there were a lot of people that struggled and, with pornography. And I, I wanted them to know a guy like me also struggles, and, but there's hope. And mm. so we shared our story with the church and totally vulnerable and our journey together walking through this. And my church was really, really gracious. My denomination uh, has, wouldn't allow me to continue to stay there. Um, so I remember the day after waking up uh, Monday morning and thinking, what the heck have I just done? I've told everybody in the world, my deepest dark secrets that I've been ashamed of. And now everybody knows my stuff. And it was just like overwhelming. Uh, it's like everyone's pointing going, that's the yeah. master. <laughs> that's, ex <laughs> that's exactly how I felt. And I wow. felt, I was so aware of, you know, I'm now considered one of those, you know, failures, one of those who have um, fallen from grace or however they define that. And yeah. they're one, you know, a pastor that does that. And I, I'm like, God, I don't know how do I, how do I move from here? How, where do I go? I, this is all I've known is being a pastor. And, you know, I've lost my job. I've lost my credentials. I've lost, you know, uh, my church. I've lost, we live in the church house. We lost, we're losing the house. Um, you know, I've lost respect. I lost my denomination. I lost so much that I spent most of my life building. And overnight, it's gone. And I'm like, God, I don't even know how, how do I face this? How do I move forward? What's, what's, I don't even know what's my life going to look like from this point on. And I need something from you. And uh, God led me to a passage in Corinthians where Paul says to the church in Corinth, um, he says, he goes, I, I don't really care what you guys think about me. And I, when I read that, I'm like, wow, I'm so consumed with what I think people are thinking about me right now. And but Paul says, I don't really care what you think about me. And then he said, I don't even care what I think about me. And I was so consumed with my own condemnation, guilt, shame. And he says, I only care what he thinks of me. Wow. And that became my pathway out of this. Because every, every time the voices, I felt like David in the book of Psalms, the voices, my enemies surround me and the voices of condemnation and guilt and shame um, were so loud mm -hmm. that I had to stop and say, okay, what do you say about me, Father? 
And he'd say, Steve, you're my boy. You're my son. <laughs> I love you. I'm not, I'll never leave you. I'm so proud of you. And my first response was, I don't believe you. <laughs> How could you say that? I've made such a mess of everything that you gave me. And um, I just, it's so hard for me to believe because uh, I'm, I'm so, I feel so condemned. And um, I just continued to do that probably a hundred times a day when the voices got so loud, I would stop and go, this is what I feel right now, but God, what do you say? And he would say, Steve, you're my boy. You're my son whom I'm, I'm so pleased with you. I'm, I'm wow. so proud of you. I'll never leave you. And um, I would do that day after day, a um, hundred times a day. And eventually, slowly, I actually began to believe him. And uh, my, my circumstances didn't change, but hearing him speak truth to me began to touch my heart in my brokenness. It, it didn't just happen like that. It was a journey over weeks that turned into months, but I, I didn't let go. It was like I continued to, to seek him with all my heart because I had nowhere else to go. I was so broken. I was so ashamed. And um, there was something in that process of knowing that I didn't deserve it. And yet, him still loving me, that I discovered this is what grace feels like. Oh. And the power of grace. And so eventually, the, the came to a point where those voices just didn't have their power over me anymore. And, uh, and his voice and what he says about me is what has given life. And yeah. my identity, not as a pastor, not as, you know, all the things that I've done with my life, um, but just being, I remember him saying, Steve, will it be enough for you just to be my son? Can you be happy with that? Can you find that that's your greatest joy? And I feel like that's where I am and continuing to live out of that place, not needing to prove anything or be anything. I already am not, not, not trying to get his love. i already have his love. Mm -hmm. um, wow. That's changed my life. And the interesting thing, Steve is for decades, maybe even centuries, the, the perspective we've had of God, yes, he loves you, but he's not pleased with what you're doing. <clears throat> so your experience of him saying, you're my boy, I love you, I'm pleased with you, that doesn't compute with that image of the God we've had because the image we've had is like, get yourself together, get sorted, or, you know, like, or you're out the house, or, you know, it's complete I... contrast of, of what we've been telling people for for decades, centuries. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was one of those pastors that <laughs> that and teach that. So I was, I was guilty of that as well. Um, that's, that's what, how profound this revelation when the eyes of my heart, when the reality of who this father really is and how much he loves. I mean, the story of the prodigal son just became so real to me. And that he never, he never condemned the son. He elevated the son for coming home and restored his identity and um, 
he didn't he didn't use his past as a weapon against him and just loved him in that place um that's that's been the journey and it's i've had a jettison a lot of religious mindsets that have gotten in the way of me uh, being able to really receive. And I think that's why, even though I heard the message of God and Father as love and my heart, um, I still had some mindsets that prevented me from really uh, letting go of my fig leaf and being totally honest and real. It's almost like mm. it had to be stripped away because I was too afraid to let go of it. Wow. And I was so caught up in my identity and what I did as a pastor that who am I? If I'm not a pastor, who am I? And I, I, I remember in the early days, I used to think to myself, I used to be somebody. <laughs> but the greatest thing that ever happened to me is that I became a nobody so that actually he could restore me into a son. Wow. And it's, in, it's interesting, you know, we talk about secret sin and church and everything else. And, but it's no wonder it's kept secret because... There's all there's all the, the the fallout, isn't it? And so yeah, it's you know Paul talks about that, doesn't he? he talks about what's done in secret, bring to the light because yes, when it's in secret, it it has such a hook in you. You know that that you can't wriggle free. It seems the more you wriggle against it, the hooks, mm -hmm. the more, the deeper they embed in you. But then there's still this. But if I tell someone, I mean, I remember I struggled with with similar things. And I remember deciding to tell my wife, I was petrified, absolutely petrified to tell her that I had a struggle, you know? Um, and so it's no wonder, not only is there all of that, but then, you know, you lost your house, you lost your friends, you lost your job. I mean, that's a huge thing to, to ask anyone to do, to say, be honest and lose everything. That's massive. Right. Right. But, you know, the kingdom of God is so different than this, this mm -hmm. world. And, you know, it's, it's in the losing, laying down that we find real life. And I feel like if I were to have the opportunity to go back and change, not let my wife find the pornography, I wouldn't change it for what I have now. I, I'm really sorry for the pain that has caused a lot of people that looked up to me and, you know, uh, depended on me, but but um, for what where I am today now, finally experiencing the freedom that I had longed for for so long, and um, not feeling like the need that I have to perform or I have to get approval, I have to be somebody in order to feel good about myself. I have found this place with Him, and um, I wouldn't trade that. Um, the journey has been hard. Yeah. Um, but where I am today, it's uh, so good. And I'm able to sit with people that um, have a lot of brokenness and are afraid to, to, to show it. But I, as I, I feel like the greatest uh, message I have is my own life message and my own life journey. And as I'm able to share that with people and I do it on a regular basis, it allows them to be really real mm -hmm. and they become hungry for the experience that I was able to walk through. And um, now we're, we're not just doing some behavioral modification. We're, we're talking about the issues of the heart and 
Um, again, it, it doesn't always happen overnight. It's a journey. And a lot of times we want a quick fix. Mm. Um, and this isn't about a quick fix. It's about a, a lifestyle. It's about, you know, relationship. And it's what I, John, what I've discovered really, most of us don't know how to have a relationship with God as our father. And so really a lot of what I do is helping people uh, and coaching them in learning how to have a relationship with God. It's in the relationship with Father that transformation really happens. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, it's interesting you talked there about relationship. I mean, how did this impact relationships? Obviously, you spoke a little bit about how it impacted you and your wife. You did the counseling to, to fix the, the things that were broken. But, but what about the wider, the community, church friends, the denomination? I mean, how did those relationships, how have they affected, Steve? Uh, well, it's, it's been a little over th three years now since I left the church. And I've had no contact with my denomination, which I was a part of for 40 years. And that's really sad to me that I invested my life in serving in that denomination, not just in my church, but in various roles and leadership in the denomination. And um, I just, I look back now and I look at how our structures are. Um, they're just not healthy and not, I don't know if this is what God intended. Uh, I look back even at the church, there's very few people. I wasn't allowed to have any contact with our church. Okay. Uh, though we had been there for 25 years and um, very few people that we've had any kind of contact with. Um, and these are people that I invested 25 years, you know? Um, and so I just look at the structure that as long as you're doing okay, it's great. You can put on a good show and um, the facade, but, but when you're, when you come to this place of brokenness, a lot of people don't know what to do with it. They're uncomfortable with it. Um, and they, they stay away. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. Um, I, I was there before too. Um, so I'm, I'm not angry or resentful. I'm, I'm sad because I feel like we have a, like you said, it's, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been great if my church said to me, we want to walk with you through this recovery. We want, we want you to continue to be a part of us. We're, we're family. And what would that communicate to the greater church? What would that communicate to non-believers? That this is a safe place where you can come in your brokenness and this church is going to love you through your brokenness into healing. I mean, look what they did for the pastor. They're going to do it for him. They're, they'll do it for anybody. But what does it communicate to the larger community while wow, the pastor you know, he got, uh, you know, in trouble with pornography and they kicked him out. Well, I don't know if I'm going to tell anybody my, my stuff. And I think that's really, really sad. I think we had a golden opportunity um, to change the, the way that um, we look at sin and walk with people through that process and create a safe environment where people can be totally real and let down their fig leaf and be loved in that place, that's ultimately what God wants to do. Mm. Um, so, the, but it's unfortunate, the structures that we have created, uh, the way that we do this, 
uh, in many places doesn't allow for that. And I think, you know, from experience, from speaking to people, I don't think that's just your denomination in your church. I think that's worldwide, that, that issue yeah. of, um, I, I might be wrong, but I think sometimes we don't want to deal with your thing because it presses my buttons, yeah. and my issues, and I'm, I'm afraid that I'll be exposed or, and it, I just, this has been a thing of mine for a long, long time, for many years, this whole thing of church discipline. Um, and really what it is, is church punishment. <laughs> no, where if you, if you step out of line, if you, if you break the code, you're, you're out of the club. Yeah. You know? um, and it just, it makes me so sad because there are so many people like yourself who are gifted, who are great folks, but they have a weakness, they have a brokenness just like the rest of us do but but in some places they're being excluded entirely yeah. and you know because i know for 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 a while you didn't go straight into counseling and into into hospice work i mean you had to find a job you had to find an apartment yeah and that must have right. been a tough time yeah it was um i remember days of delivering packages for amazon and showing up at people's houses that i used to be their pastor <laughs> and I'm the delivery guy. And I, the, the shame, the guilt, the condom, and all of that. And that's when I'm like, God, this is how I feel right now. But what do you say about me? And it was incredibly humbling to walk through that. But it's in that process that God does his greatest work. I feel like <laughs> after having walked through this, I'm more equipped today to be an effective pastor mm. and I was prior to all of that, wow. which is, which is sad, but I'm also free. <laughs> There's a lot of things that of being a pastor that I'm glad I don't have to deal with and deal and do anymore. Don't have the same um, drive that I have to be successful and I have to perform. A lot of those things have faded away with really coming into understanding my identity. So I don't know how, how that I would be now as a pastor. I would be totally different mm. in how I would approach it. Wow. I remember you telling me a story about the early days when you just began with the, the delivery couriers, um, but how you, you, you were struggling to finish the round and you called in to ask if you could come back to the <laughs> depot. Tell us about that story because I think it's funny, but it's, but it's also very poignant. Yeah. So I got hired um, to, to deliver for Amazon, and it was in the early uh, days of doing that. And um, I had a full load that day, and I wasn't going to be able to get all the packages delivered. And so I was pretty naive on this uh, process. So I remember calling the, um, uh, my, my, what do you call him? Anyway, the, the guy that I checked in with, and I said, hey, I'm just letting you know, it's like 5 o'clock. I have, a, a, I think I had a Bible study or something at six o'clock, 6.30. And I said, I, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be able to finish. So I'm just gonna have to, you know, come back in. And uh, the dispatch said, said to me, um, what, are you, what are you talking about? You don't come back in until all the packages are delivered. If you come in with your packages, you're fired. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I've just come into a whole different world. So, 
that's of, very of how polite. The world is. That's very polite language for a dispatcher, Steve. You sure that's yeah. how he said it? <laughs> I, I, no, that, that is not how he said it. <laughs> they, they weren't showing, trying to be very kind at all about uh, when he was talking to me. So, but it, it, it was one of those reality checks, like, I'm not in charge anymore. <laughs> I'm not the boss. I'm, I'm just the, the flunky guy that's doing the job. So um, That must yeah. be really... Wonderful. And I also then worked in a restaurant, and I was the... Uh, the host uh, at the restaurant it was a friend of mine who owned the restaurant. And again, so many people from the church uh, would come to that. I didn't realize it came to that restaurant. And here I am seating them and uh, being the host and it, talking about being awkward and, and, and strange. Um, but again, that's all part of the process. That's crazy. Man. I just, I just want to revisit the whole church discipline thing because just as we were talking that the scripture that came to mind was you know those brothers those of you if someone's caught in, in a sin those of you who are spiritual gently restore him but my experience and my observations is that that doesn't seem to happen and and just listen to your story and I, I don't mean to criticize the church or denomination because the structure doesn't help but it doesn't seem to have been the case for you that that those people cradled you and gently led you through restoration no um no it was more of a process of humiliation um than than anything else i mean they did have a process but it was it was set up to humiliate you uh, i mean they wouldn't say it that way but when i looked at what they had and i had been on the other end i had sat in other guys walking through their process and how difficult i remember even how difficult just sitting on our end because the process was so humiliating and i remember thinking i i don't think i could ever put myself through that process these these people aren't there there's very a lot of judgment and a lot of you got to prove yourself and not a lot of grace and so um no, there wasn't much at all uh, in terms of uh, restoring in, in gentleness. Um, and that's really sad. Uh, so, I mean, where did you find any Christian connection? Did you find connection with believers or, or were you just really isolated with your wife? Were there others who came alongside you or what? How did that, what happened, Steve? Well, we... We were pretty um, put off by by church. I mean, I have I have a good good friend uh, as a pastor. He's the head of the counseling where I'm working at now, and he really took me under his wing, and um, he understood um, sonship and um, love and grace. And uh, we would meet on a regular basis, and he just allowed me to pour out my heart and just love me. Uh, in that season and continued to uh, reach out to me and, um, and, and a couple other friends. Um, but really it was very few and there wasn't a whole lot of interest on my part to really connect with. Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't have the energy that whatever to do that. Um, I did become a part of this recovery group and that was a very interesting experience for me because these were all men that um, 
were, were not <laughs> at all in ministry. And um, they were, um, but they were incredibly honest and real. And I can tell you, I'd never been in a group of men where we were so real with one another. And a lot of them weren't Christians. So I learned, I heard words I'd never heard before. <laughs> and, um, but I was so refreshing because they were so, they were so honest. Yeah. And I fell in love with them. It's like a group of eight men. And we walked a journey together for almost two years that I was a part of it. And um, it was the first time in my life that I, I had uh, men that weren't expecting me to be the man of God, to be the pastor, have all the answers. They, um, many of them didn't even know that I had been a pastor and until later on. And it was a place that I could be totally, completely honest. I was just Steve. I wasn't Pastor Steve. And um, it was one of the most refreshing experiences because I, I realized I didn't really have friends. I had a lot of acquaintances, but I didn't really develop uh, uh, those kinds of relationships. And I was just too busy or whatever to do that. And um, to be in an environment like that was so new for me. And I realized that was one of the things that I was missing. If I had had a group of friends or some friends like that, I would have had some place I could have processed and talked through and gotten the help. Um, but I, I didn't have a place like that. And that was my fault. I created, I created my life to be like that. Well, just, but, but you say that was your fault. And yes, to a degree, I agree with you. But I remember being in Bible seminary and being told that I shouldn't make friends with my congregation. Yes. Because if they see my weaknesses, then how will they respect me and follow me? Exactly. I mean, the system exactly. creates loneliness. It does. It creates yeah. isolation. And other ministers are your competition. Yes. You know, right. I know that's not how the kingdom works, but it's how the system right. works. That, exactly. You right. know, I'm going after these souls, but that church is going after these souls too. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's just a crazy, crazy thing. So, yes, we choose to, to partner with the system, but it's, it's like it preys upon our need for recognition, our need for affirmation. Yeah. And it, and it, and it molds us into something that, that, I, that God never intended us to be. No. And yeah, I, I, I think it's a setup for failure for, for mm -hmm. us pastors. Um, it's all about performance. Um, it, we, we tend to be hungry for approval. So we do a lot of things to get those, uh, those attaboys and, um, it's just not a healthy environment. And then we're elevated and we get to get used to that being elevated, you know, and it feels good to be that way. So then it, it causes you to even more, be more secretive about your own weaknesses. Yeah. Um, so I just don't think the one man show the way that we have, we put so much pressure on one man to be all uh, things to everybody. Um, I just think it's a setup for failure for yeah. most, for most pastors. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think so too. I think eventually um, if it doesn't break you, it robs you of something of your, your own sense of being. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I think it, it creates a, a distortion, a distorted view of yourself, yeah. a realistic view. Um, 
presently we are, my wife and I, my, my son-in-law was on staff uh, with me and he started his own little uh, kind of a house church with my daughter. And uh, so we are presently now part of this house church. There's probably about 35 people. And um, I'm kind of the elder <laughs> of this group of younger that, people. That, that'll be by default because of you are old elder? <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, and um, I'm enjoying not being in charge. I'm enjoying, it's, it's very relational based. It's nothing like your organized church that we, we've known. And I mean, that's all I knew growing, you know, that's how I was trained. That's, I just did what I was, was modeled for me. And I didn't know you could do church differently and you could do it like a family and um, learn how to love each other. And it's not about trying to grow. We don't, this isn't even a group that's trying to grow. It's just learning how to love each other letting God love us and sharing those experiences together and, and learning how to be real with each other. Okay. Everything that I, I, I didn't have, I'm learning how we can do it in, in a community kind of structure. Um, so it's been really refreshing to be a part of that. That is, that is so awesome. And yeah, I picked up on something you said that when you were in that recovery group, you were with it, you know, that, there was a group of you eight guys who were honest and real. And you said, I, I've never had that kind of experience before. I mean, cause you were what in your fifties when this happened. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's not as though you were just a young guy. No, you did, you did like 40 years of being a man and never having had that experience. How many of the rest of us are in that place where, yeah. you no, know, being a man means slapping each other on the back and high fiving yeah. and, but never going talking about sports. Yeah, never. But never saying, you know what? This is how I feel. And yeah. How, how many men are crying out for that, but won't acknowledge it because everything else falls apart? You know. Yeah. Well, it was, it was that was so ironic to me was I had to go outside the church to discover real fellowship, and I was like, I remember sitting there. And I'm like, this is what the church should be doing. This is, we should provide a safe place for people to be real about their struggles and their pain. And it's not just go secretly to the counselor that we are in community with each other. And when I hear your story and what you're learning, it helps me when you break down, I, I, feel, I feel free to break down. Um, but, but it seems like we have to go outside the church structure to be able to experience that kind of realness. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because most churches have men's groups. <laughs> or yes. Groups. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, yes. But, but we're all afraid of each other. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy. You know, I think well, in my life, I've probably had two or three men that I, I could share my shameful secrets with and not be rejected by them. And they're still my friends today. You know, but I was in my 20s or 30s before I ever did that. You know, because the culture I grew up in, men didn't do that. That was touchy-feely, right. womanly stuff, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, we uh, have a lot to learn from oh groups, yeah. Yeah. So, so you, found, you found that 
God was speaking to you and, and calling you son and encouraging you. So how has that developed in your life, Steve, in your relationships, in your marriage? Well, here, I'm going to give you a little um, example. Um, so I've, I'm, I'm finally in a place where I'm broken and my fig leaf is gone. I mean, it's been stripped to shattered. I ha- uh, there's nothing left. And, um, and I'm coming to God and he's loving me in my brokenness. And, you know, it's, I, I'm not trying to get fixed. I'm just trying to, to walk through life and not realizing it. My heart began to change my views, how I saw life and everything began to change. And one day, um, my wife and I are having a conversation. Uh, it's about, it was an intense conversation not about us, but something else, but it was intense for two hours. We were really struggling with this, walking through it. And we finally came to a point where we're both exhausted and said, let's just set it aside and we'll come back to it. And then my wife said, can I say something? And I said, sure. And she's like, you've changed. And I was like, what do you mean? I wasn't even noticing anything. You're thinking what's wrong? What have I done? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And, um, because you know when your wife says it, it it's real. It's different oh, yeah. than when you say it. Oh, yeah. And so she's like, you've changed. And I go, why, why do you say that? She goes, do you, do you realize what we just did? We just did two hours of back and forth conversation. You let me speak. And you didn't stop me. You didn't get triggered. You didn't get defensive. I didn't always agree with everything you're saying, but you didn't respond in a defensive argument. You let me express my opinion. You heard me. We went back and forth. Um, did we never? In the past, we would have always ended up in a fight, and we didn't. We didn't get in a fight. There wasn't any tension. I felt. She said I felt heard. I felt I could express myself. You actually valued what I had to say. I, I all those things that I've always longed for, but in the past because of my own condemnation on the inside, I was always so defensive because if I felt like you were attacking me or criticizing me, I, I would get triggered and I'd have to defend. But because I'm secure now without realizing it and I'm loved, you can say stuff and it doesn't have this, doesn't trigger me. And so as she said that, I was like, wow, that's true. I didn't even, didn't even notice that that's how this would have typically gone. And then I said, you know, what's even greater is that never during those two hours did something you say trigger me on the inside that I'm like biting my tongue. I better not say that. You know, I'm gritting my teeth. I'm not going to go. I never once felt triggered. I never once um, uh, felt like, you know, I was I had to defend myself It never even came up. And that's when I realized I've changed. I really have changed. My heart's changed, not because I was trying so hard in this conversation, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to put on my, you know, listening and all those. It was, it just came naturally because my heart was changed. And I see that, I see that in all my relationships. I, 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 I don't get triggered. I, my heart is different. I'm able to love. I'm able to listen. Um, I don't need to have your approval and I'm okay without it. And there's a freedom that comes in that. Um, and, and it's affected my relationship with my daughters, the way that I relate to them, um, the way that I, friendships, um, 
it, it's affected every area. But the beautiful thing, John, is that for so many years, I try to discipline myself. I try to make changes happen. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm praying about certain character traits. I'm trying hard to be obedient to God and gritting my teeth. And now it's like it comes naturally out of, out of my heart. Wow. That's, I mean, the power of love is incredible. Yeah. You know, when it's not about the discipline, it's not about the trying hard, it's about partnering with love. Yeah. And even more than that, I think, and I was speaking about this recently, it's about letting yourself be loved. Exactly. We, you know, we always, we talk about the love of God and, and we feel we have to demonstrate the love of God and we pay for someone's meal in a restaurant or, you know, the toll bridge costs for the guy behind us. Yeah. But I know, I know non-believers who do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. but, but allowing yourself to be loved, to think of yourself as worth love. That's right. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And the power I have that then begins to expand in your life. Yes. I have, I have three daughters, but my, my two oldest, my oldest is Sarah. She was born one of those people that she has to do it her way. Independent, stubborn, prideful, wouldn't let us help her with piano lessons and sports and schoolwork. She, everything she just wanted to do it her way. And it was always tension. It was always hard. And she always had to learn the hard way because she just wouldn't ask for help. She wouldn't receive help. I have a second daughter. Her name is Grace. Totally opposite. She can receive really well. If you want to bless her, she'll take it. You know, she's just a really good receiver and receiving love, receiving help, open, humble. Uh, her name is Grace. She lives up I, to her name. I need some lessons from Grace. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> It would, if you looked at my relationship with both my daughters, you would conclude you must love Grace more than you love Sarah. Look at all that you do for, for Grace. But the truth is, I love both of my daughters equally. One knows how to receive, because that's, that's the heart of a dad. I want to bless my daughters. The other one doesn't know how to receive and wow. is so, so um, stubborn and prideful that she won't receive. I want to bless her. I want to, I want to come alongside her. I want to help her. I want to give her counsel, but she's not open to that. And so therefore her life has turned out to be a lot more difficult because she's had to learn the hard way. She's going through divorce and uh, every step of the way it's been hard. Grace, she's, it looks like she's just walking in the favor of God, the blessing of God. But I think what it comes down to is learning how to be able to receive and wow place of receiving you walk in that that blessing he wants to bless all of us it's just a matter of are you able to receive and see i i i was like sarah i couldn't receive because i just didn't feel like i was good enough and uh, i took this to come to that place to realize it's true i'm not good enough <laughs> but he loves me anyway wow yeah i think that's a problem that many of us have it's especially in certain nations or parts of nations where it seems to be a character trait where of self-sufficiency of independence yeah. of being self-made or you know if i'm going to make a mistake it would it'll be my mistake and not something else's right that. that's right and like yourself it, it it took a 
a lot of a lot of breaking in my life to to bring me to the point of thinking I will allow myself to be loved. Yeah. I think that that was the thing, Stephen. Like you were saying there, I wouldn't allow myself to be loved. People did yeah. love me. I just yeah. wouldn't allow them to. You know, and it's right. it's incredible that it takes that kind of breaking uh, to to let us discover what we were actually made for. Right. Exactly. What we were created for. Yeah. That's. I, I also wonder: Does it require so much pain and brokenness to get here? But I, I don't think so. I mean, I look at my daughter Grace, and she she's able to receive. And I don't know where that came from, but she didn't have to go her, through. Her mom probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I, I don't think we all have to go through brokenness to get there. It's just some of us are more stubborn than others. Uh, thanks for that endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you see the Father communicating his love today? Wow, that's a great question. It just seems so natural. It's not like I have to work at it. It's not like I have to have my daily devotional in order to stay connected to him. Mm -hmm. um, my heart is always drawn to him throughout the day. Um, there is a sense, there's a, a deep abiding sense that I need you. I can't do this without you. I need you. Mm -hmm. And like I, I spoke on Sunday at a church <clears throat> and I hadn't spoken for a while. And so I actually, as I was driving there, I was a little nervous. You know, I've done this for 25 years, but I've been out of the saddle for a while, but there was something just reminded, he just reminded me, you know, I'm here, I'm with you, you know, and I'm, I didn't even, I didn't even look at a note. I, I just talked from my heart which I never did in the past. Um, and I just talked out of my relationship with him. And um, it's much more real. And in that sense, and it's not something that I, I, I'm, I'm worried about, I have to work up. Um, like I said, I think what drives me is just this sense. I never want to lose a sense that I need. I, Jesus said, blessed are the spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who recognize that they need God, yeah. for the kingdom of heaven becomes available to them. And when I, I'm in that place of, I, I know it, I don't pretend any longer. You know, apart from him, I can do nothing, but with him, I can do all things. And so I, I continually stay in that place of really recognizing I need him. And, um, and, and he's there, he's there for me. And I see him in so many little, small little details. And my life isn't so busy and now it's not so full. And so I have time to reflect. I have time to be quiet. Um, I have time to go for walks and just be with him. Mm. Um, it's different. I'm not trying to get something from him where I used to always try to get, how can I get him to do what I want him to do for me? Um, I have him 
and he's the answer for everything. Wow. Wow. I mean, I mean, this is an incredible journey. I think, you know, folks listening are, I hope it's, it's connecting with their hearts and, and the things they're struggling with. Did Liz, how did Liz, your wife, go on the same journey with you? How did she walk that journey? Because obviously your brokenness and everything wasn't necessarily hers. She experienced it in a different way. How did, how did she walk through that with you? That's been, um, for me personally, probably the hardest thing because my actions affected her so greatly. I mean, not only in our marriage and how, you know, the lack, how she had to work through trust and the pain of that. But then she lost her church. Yeah. She lost her friends, her best friends, the group of women that she had lived life for over 20 years. Um, they were gone. And, um, and so much of um, the life that we built together overnight was gone. And and she suffered because of my actions. And so that was really hard for me. I mean, it's one thing for me, I, I, I you know, understand it, but for someone that she's innocent. So she's, she said, you know, I, I made a commitment for better or for worse. This better be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no, she actually, um, she actually was done being a pastor's wife a long time ago. And so she was actually not sad to lose that position, uh, but losing the relationships was really hard. And um, wondering why she was treated that way um, when she didn't really do anything wrong. Um, But she has a different husband, which is something that she's always prayed for. And um, she also, it's, it's funny how when, you know, every couple has has like a dance that they do and they get into this rhythm and they do it over and over and over and over and they don't change the dance. But when one of the partner changes the dance, it, it requires the other partner either has to change with them or it's just not going to work anymore. And so, you know, when I finally started getting healthy and she saw what God was doing in my life, it actually opened the door for her to start to let God do a work in her heart as well. And, um, and becoming more healthy in her journey. So, but, but it, I had to, I had to, you know, I was the focus for so long that get your act together, get your act together. Once my act started getting together, it revealed in her heart, Oh, I do have other issues. I thought Steve was the only issue. (laughs) Um, And so it's been her journey as well Wow, of coming into understanding what it means to be a daughter and um, walking through the pain of betrayal and brokenness um, and God working in those places in her life as well. And her learning like Paul to embrace uh, her weakness because it's in that place that God shows up. Hmm. um, It's been an incredible journey. It was also, you know, one of the things I was most concerned about after this was, how this would affect my daughters. I have three daughters and they've always looked at me as, you know, this man of God, they had me on a pedestal, all this. And I, um, I I remember saying, God, what do I do now? Uh, How do I, I, 
how do I redeem this for my daughters? And I felt like God said to me, you know, Steve, it's, it's easy to, to walk through success and, and show them that, but most people, we can't relate to success. Show them how to walk through failure and do it well. And give them an example of uh, failure actually um, uh, causing you to move forward in the place of failure. That is the greatest lesson you can teach them is um, walking through that and keeping your head up and keeping connected and turning out better on the other side of it. And so um, that's affected my relationship with my daughters. I mean, they're more real with me than they ever have been. Um, but, um, son-in-law is more real with me than ever before because I'm not that, that pastor man of God anymore. I'm this uh, man who has flaws and, and, uh, and issues. And people can relate to that a lot more than a man who has success. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And success intimidates, doesn't it? It and does. I think, I think sometimes when I look back at myself and, and my fig leaves, that was, that's what it was all about, in, intimidating people, not in an aggressive way necessarily, but in a way that made them fearful to probe any deeper than the surface. Yes. Because I didn't want them to find what was there. Yeah. I, I have found that um, when, when counseling, when I'm aware of the life that lives within me, because a lot of times it's not, it's not my words that are going to um, affect the person. It's when the life in me and my heart can touch their heart. When I can, there's a transference of life, and that may sound strange, but um, touches their heart. It opens their eyes but but it requires that my I'm vulnerable as well, and um, I've seen it. It's just there's there's a transference that takes place. There's a connection that takes place. You can't even put it into words that that allows people to to let down their guard, and they sense and feel the love of God. And um, so. I, I go into my counseling not so much, but I've got to have the right answers. I, I've just got to be in tune with the life that's in me. And if letting that manifest in such a way that touches them. Yeah. And that's interesting. Powerful. You're saying there, you know, like that only happens if you're vulnerable with them. So it's, it's, it's because I think sometimes we have this concept that vulnerability is something we do in order to deal with an issue, get fixed, and we can bring the defenses back up. But but you seem to be saying that vulnerability is an ongoing lifestyle even. Yeah. No, it's not just that, right, I need to fix, so I need to be honest about my, my difficulty, then I can close it back up again. But you're saying like, I need to keep being vulnerable. Yeah. And the only way I can I can do that is if I'm secure in who God says I am and my identity, I'm not so worried about what people think if they, if they, if I'm vulnerable and they think I'm weak uh, or, you know, whatever they think of me, but being secure. And so not everybody is ready to be that vulnerable. Mm. <laughs> um, and so you have to, you know, really, you know, be sensitive to the leading of the spirit and all of that. Um, but I, I just want to also be aware that it's the life on the inside of me mm. that 
more powerful that will bring them life if I can, you know, allow that to, to manifest through me. And I find that, like you said, it's through that being vulnerable. Steve, our time is almost up and I I don't want to eat into too much of your day. I know that it's lovely and sunny and blue skies there in California. I don't want to rob you of that. (laughs) But I mean, I'm guessing there are going to be people listening to this podcast who are struggling with issues, secret sins, whatever people want to call it, brokenness, um, fear. I mean, what, what encouragement could you give them in regarding their issues from your experiences? They, if, if I could recommend that they find a safe place to be able to be real and honest. And there's something about bringing out of the darkness and into the light, those things that are there mm. and expose them. It breaks the power many times. Um, finding that safe place, but a lot of, for a lot of people, we don't have that. I understand that. But that would be my first step is to have a safe place that I can totally let down my fig leaf and be expose myself and and know that I'll be loved and and accepted um, in that place. And then it's the second thing is is um, being honest about myself. I, I just feel like we deceive ourselves so much. We become self deceived and um, think we are one way, but the reality is we, we just don't want to look at our stuff. It, like we said earlier, it takes courage to face our pain and to face, you know, the things that we don't want anybody else to see. It takes a lot of courage, but you can't, you can't heal until you begin to confess those things, bring those things up. And, but not to be afraid of our weaknesses. In fact, it's in, that place when you discover the truth that it's in my weakness that I meet God, I, I'm like Paul, then bring it all, all my weaknesses and hardships and trials because when I'm weak, he is strong. When you discover that truth, there's, there's freedom. Yeah. Um, yes, it, and know that it's a journey. It's not like an overnight quick fix. It, it's a journey and it's, oh, and the other thing is it's, it's a relationship. It's coming to him and you may have to, and that's why I think the Bible says knock and seek. You don't stop seeking. You don't stop saying, okay, I got it. Thank you very much. I'll take it from here. It's a life of, I need you. I need you. I need you. Hmm. Staying in that place of dependency as a child, um, fostering that as much as you can. Yeah. I like, I like that. It's that, concept because we, we do fall into that trap of like I, I've done the course um you know I've read the books I've finished the manual and and it's like that we, we unconsciously okay I can run with this now I can run with the worship the prophecy the whatever but I, I love that Steve that idea of like it's a lifestyle of saying I can't and I need you yeah yeah well that's that's incredibly and I get that takes a lot of humility or 
being humbled. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And my experience is that I don't have a lot of humility, so I get humbled a lot. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right, yes. Unfortunately, yes. Steve, are there any last thoughts you want to share with us about the love of God or, or about the journey? No, I think I've pretty much shared it. I, I am, I'm just so thankful. Um, I'm thankful that I can be in this place and not have anger or bitterness or resentment or condemnation, shame, guilt, regret. I don't, I don't live with that. Um, I could have. And, but because of the experience, um, I, I feel really free on the inside. And that's wow. heart's desire is, is for people that I have any kind of relationship with is, for them to have that same experience that they can have it can be it can happen for all of us wow that's incredible steve thank you so much for your time thank you for thank being you. so honest and open with us um even after three years that you know it, to to still wear it like that I, thank you so much you really bet. thank you, you. Really, really love you for that thank you thanks john it's bless good to be with you. you yeah bless you as well <laughs>